Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Today I want to talk to you about a simple subject, and it is choose life. Somebody say it with me, choose life. I want to start with a foundation because there's so much that's happening in our generation and in our time that there's a a theologian and a father of the first century church, his name was Augustine. And he said something, for those of you who are taking notes, that I think we ought to ascribe to in 2022. He said, in the essentials, unity. What is essential? Jesus is Lord. If you don't agree with me that Jesus is Lord, there's nothing for us to talk about. Jesus is Lord. Is there anybody in the room who agrees that's an essential? If Jesus is your savior, we can have fellowship. If not, then there are, we can talk, but not about salvation. If Buddha is your savior, we can talk, but not about salvation. The essential in the essential unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. Liberty. You have the right to choose in things that are non-essential. And we, we bite and devour each other over non-essential things. Doctrine and the difference in hermeneutics, the way one interprets this or that. And then finally, in all things love. That's probably the most important one, in all things love. When I look at the state of affairs around us today in the world, there is clearly this side or that side. And even when the truth is spoken, it's the letter. And the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It is possible to speak the truth in love. It is possible to tell the truth and yet have compassion. It's not all or one. Sometimes we go astray because people with compassion are compassionate to the degree that anything goes. You can live any way you want. Yes, Jesus loves you. And then on the other side, nothing. You must conform to this or you are going to hell. I don't believe that's the will of God, and you'll see as we go through the scripture. I think we need to have time to hear God. What side is he on? I want you to know, I want to be clear about something. I'm, I'm not rolling with the donkey or the elephant. I'm rolling with a lion and a lamb. The lion and the lamb is who I follow. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion. As believers, we're one. And we shouldn't fight each other because that, that's what the world does. Not in the church. Don't let it be named among us. Is there anybody who's with me with the lion and the lamb? Because that will last. I want to talk, choose life. I want to talk about life outside the womb and inside the womb and how valuable both they are. We're going to work from the outside in. You've all heard of the horrific 
incident in Buffalo that an 18-year-old, how can someone who is so young have such darkness go and target people and kill them simply because of the color of their skin? He doesn't know them. He's never met them. He's led by some conspiracy of replacement theory. So he targets a group that is 13% of the population and really believes that they're going to replace the majority. Now, one might say, no, it's not just that 13%. It's, it's, it's the accumulation of everyone who is not of the majority. Whatever the argument, that is wrong. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not kill. So he goes and he kills these innocent people. And some people say, well, it's about mental health. And I do believe we have a mental health crisis. We have a mental health crisis. But if this man had a mental health problem, why did he comply with the law? He walked out of there alive. He killed all those innocent people. He didn't turn the gun on himself. He didn't, he didn't resist arrest. He walked out there alive. Just darkness. And that's, that's part of the problem with social media. I was talking to my wife the other day about the fact that there, young people have more likes on social media, more friends. They friend more people on social media than they have in real life. That creates a type of isolation that is even beyond the isolation we all experienced in the pandemic. And it's a problem. And it resulted in a mass killing. How about what happened in Uvalde, Texas? Another 18-year-old, you notice this pattern, 18 years old, he shoots his grandmother, and then he gets in the car, and he drives, he goes to high school next door to this elementary school. No doubt he's, he's heard the laughter of the children. He's seen them. He goes in and indiscriminately, discriminately starts to shoot. What is the value of life? Now here's the here's a, a heart uh, wrenching part. There's a man named Joseph Garcia. His wife Emma Garcia was one of the teachers. They were married for 24 years. He went to pay respects at her memorial. He took flowers and took them to her memorial. He went home and died. He died of a heart attack. His family said his death was due to grief. Was due to grief. It wasn't just the people, the, the babies, the children who were in that school and the teachers. The death affected the living. He could not imagine life without his soulmate. We need to find rest for our souls, and now he's gone. That's what happens when death is working. Now I want to talk about inside the womb. I talked about inside out. There are three things that are precious that God gives us, and it's not limited, but for the purposes of this message, 
For those of you who are taking notes, these are the three things I want to call to your attention. Life, time, and purpose. There's no one who's alive by virtue of the fact that you are alive that God didn't gift you with life, with time, and with purpose. And anytime a life is cut short, you've taken away a life that God gave. You've taken away time, and you remove purpose from the earth. Because there's a purpose that God purposes in every one of us that is just for you. You are fearfully and marvelously made. Your life matters. My life matters. It matters to God. It matters in heaven and on earth. And somehow we've allowed life to be devalued and to be cheapened. It's time for the church of the living God to take a stand. There are distractions that come. The devil is busy. He wants to distract us. He wants to divide us. He wants us to focus on things that are non-essential rather than aligning with heaven. Let's go deeper. Let's go to the word of God. This is not just an opinion. I'm gonna tell you my position, but I want you to hear from heaven. Deuteronomy 30 and 19. Deuteronomy 30 and 19. This is God speaking to Israel. Israel is a type of the church. It's the foreshadow of the church, the people of God. He says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. God speaking to Israel and today to the church is letting us know. I want you to leave that verse up until I, until I say take it down. He's, he's speaking to us about generational issues and the impact of our choices. That the choices you make affect generations. It's not just about you, it's about your descendants. And there are so many people who are caught up in things and families because people don't take into account that my, decision, my decisions impact my descendants. And so there is so much dysfunction in families because people, some people have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. And there are things that creep in. And before you know it, it's generational and generational. But God is also saying, I want heaven and earth to be aligned on this. 
So I'm saying this in the presence of heaven and earth. I'm saying it in the presence of heaven is because I assign the angels to watch over the children. Jesus said that. And I want them to know that this matters to me. It ought to matter to them. And I'm speaking to you in the earth. Those who are, who are called by my name and everybody on the face of the earth, I want you to know that you are a free moral agent, but I want you to choose life. Now, I want you to notice something. There are four things that God named. Life, death, blessings, cursings. And he told us to choose one of them. Sometimes we get messed up, well-meaning people, because we choose blessings. He didn't say choose blessings. Did he say choose blessings? He said choose life. When I choose life, God will bless me. But when I seek blessings, it creates, it allows a selfishness to rise up in me. I'm no longer caring about others. I'm caring about me and mine. That's why God didn't tell us to choose blessing. He said, choose life. I'm the giver of life. When you choose life, everything will follow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about what I'm going to add. You choose life. And we make life and death decisions all the time. Some of them big, some of them small, some natural and some spiritual. But I pray today that God would reveal to us the connectivity, the connectivity of the, the decisions that are made spiritually and how they manifest in the natural. Put up the, the first picture for me, please. With that foundation, last week I talked about choice. I hope you can see that clear. And I just want to be very clear. And I was talking about it under the guise of there are two things. Number one, I was responding to an extreme position. I rebuke. I'm against extreme positions. No matter where they come, I'm against it because it's divisive. It causes fighting. It causes schism. And it, it's not healing. In all things, love. And the second part is it's about the fact that we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to choose. God recognized that. He said, I set before you these things. But then he encouraged us to do what? Choose life. What does God say? What does God say? And here's, can you read that headline? Read it. I want to know, I want to make sure that you can see it. Abortion rights backers say God's on their side. Now I'm going to talk about life in the womb because it's nuanced. It is, there are all kinds of arguments. And I'm, I want to say this, I am against abortion. I'm against abortion because it takes away life that God gives. But I am for women and children. 
And because I'm for women and children, that's why I'm against abortion. Because abortion harms both of them. And I'm going to give some real life testimonies from mothers that's public. So it's not out of, it's not out of pocket. It's not, I'm not breaking any confidence. But I can tell you this, if I were counseling a young lady who had to make a difficult decision and they were considering abortion, I would, I would help them choose life. I would do, ultimately it's their choice, but my counsel would be, don't do it. There are other ways, there are ways out. That, put that back up again, because I want to show, I want to point something out. The person who's looking out of that window, they're in Alabama. If you could see the glass, you would see it's an Alabama clinic. Great, great poverty. And the director went on to say this, God isn't theirs, God is all of ours. God isn't theirs, God is all of ours. And in that headline, the media said, they said God is on our side. I, I say it's an extreme position to be in a job where you are counseling people to kill the babies that are in their womb. And this person who's looking out of the window, you ready for this? Is a Christian. And this person, now some people say, you can't be a Christian and do that. I wanna talk about how that can happen. I don't agree with her. I think this position is extreme. I think it's wrong. This clinic is right next door to a crisis pregnancy center, right next door. Why can't you funnel them there? Well, it's because outside of the clinic where she, her gaze is, there are people who are shouting, who are screaming, who are saying to the young women who are going in, you're going to go to hell. And this person thinks, I need to be a compassionate one and to help. Let me say this. I said last week, we need to start tackling some of the tough topics of our time. And there'll be more to come. There's a lot of conversation around Roe v. Wade. Has there anybody in this room who has not heard about the legal battle over Roe v. Wade? Nobody. I'll take that as everybody has heard it. This is not simply about the law. It isn't. Whether it's legal or not, it's a moral issue. And we have to make choices. There was, as I was preparing for this, I'm like, how does law work? Is morality in law? There was a time when hard liquor was against the law and people were bootlegging. Does that term mean anything to anybody? Bootleg, some of y'all, I know. I know it does. With bootleg. And when it got to a certain point, the government decided there's too much black market money. We need to legalize this so we can tax it. And now it's okay, it's legal, right? It's legal for someone to go and buy Hennessy. But just because, somebody said, what? You didn't know that? You didn't know that? Uh, breaking news, it's legal. 
However, does that mean it's okay for me to put Hennessy on the altar here? All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. Just because it's legal doesn't mean I have to do it. That's the first thing. See, that's the power of choice. There was a time gambling on sports was illegal. People are not in the Hall of Fame. People have gone to jail. People have been fined. But now every sport has decided the gaming industry is big business. And now that which used to be illegal is promoted. You can't watch a game without hearing about parlays and bets. Did it change morally? No, it's lust that causes that. And the, the people who allow it, have, have their position changed? I don't know, but what I can tell you, right or wrong doesn't change. It doesn't matter what the law is. In fact, the apostles were confronted by the political establishment, the legislatures of their day. After they did a miracle, read Acts the fourth chapter, and you'll see it with a, with a new lens, Acts four. They had healed the man at the gate called Beautiful, and the people met, the Sanhedrin met, and they said, what are we gonna do? We can't deny that a miracle was done. This guy has been healed, and they said it was in the name of Jesus. We cannot deny that. We see him, we saw him sitting there, lame. He was 40 years old, and now he's walking. But what we can do is shut them up. I'm telling you, there's a Sanhedrin at work today. They want us to shut up about certain things. Well, they, they confront them and they tell them, you can no longer teach and you can no longer preach in, this name, in his name. And here's what Peter said, the sanguine in the group. He said, you judge for yourselves. Who should we obey, God or you? God or you, judge for yourself. And what they did, and that's why the body of Christ needs to be built up. They, the Bible says they went to their own companions. They went to folk who were like-minded. That's why we can't fight in the church. We need like-minded people because they can reach heaven. And they began to pray. They said, Father, in the name of your holy child, Jesus, do more miracles, signs, and wonders because the heathen is raging. And the Bible said the foundation shook. Uh, we need some foundation shakers in 2022 when we can get together with people of like mind who walk together in agreement. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, since that law was enacted, there were 62 million abortions. 62 million. Is there anybody who thinks that's too many? And what does that mean in heaven? What does that mean? Because there's so many arguments, and I'm, and I'm talking about this because I think we all need to have a position, not necessarily to shout anyone down, but to settle it in your heart. There is no, the arguments are, well, when is life, when does life really begin? It's only a cell, it's only a clot of blood. And for the women, 
who are emotionally confused when they have to make, there are some reasons, and I'm going to talk about some, that you can see how they get to the point of decision, of, uh, of a hard decision. But I say to them, what I say to one, I say to all, choose life. There's no condemnation to anyone who's made that decision in the past. There's none. There's repentance, there's forgiveness, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation. This is not about condemnation. This is about understanding that it's not about God being on my side. It's not about God being on your side. It's about us being on God's side. And sometimes that gets lost because everybody says God is on my side. Is he? It's for us to be on his side. Do you remember when Israel sinned, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and they built the calf? Somebody say amen if you remember that. And they came down and the people were frolicking. And Moses the next day said, who's on the Lord's side? He didn't say on my side. Who's on the Lord's side? Come over here with me. And I believe that's the posture we ought to take. What is God's position? And then I want to be on his side. And then in all things, what? Say the word. Love. In all things, love. Not condemnation. None of that. In all things, love. Let's go to Jeremiah 1 and 5. And then I want to give two contemporary examples of mothers that have been stated publicly so that we can get a sense of how this thing wears on the person who has to make the decision. That's why I say I'm against abortion, but I'm for women and I'm for children. Jeremiah 1 and 5, I want us to look at this together. Jeremiah 1 and 5, you can quote it before it's up, but I want you to look at it through the lens of our conversation. And this is a conversation, a necessary conversation, and one that I believe. Jeremiah 1 and 5, please put that up. Jeremiah 1 and 5. It reads, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now I want you to hear that. Let me put that by itself. This is from God's perspective. Before I formed you, I knew you. Now remember he said I'm calling heaven and earth to account. When does life begin in heaven? When does life begin in the mind of God? It's not about this human argument as to when it's, it's formed. It's futile. I want to hear, God, what do you say? He said to a young man who was feeling a little uneasy about the responsibility that God was about to give him at a young age. And God wanted to encourage him that this didn't just start now. I'm talking to you now and giving you the mandate, but I want you to know that before I formed you, before you were a clot, before you were a cell, 
I knew you. And look, look at what else he did. And because I knew you, and I knew I was going to bring you forth, I gave you purpose. He said, before you were born, I sanctified you. Sanctified babies. Give me a sanctified baby. He said, before I formed you, I knew you. If I, if I had to make a life and death decision and I knew that God cared about my descendants and I knew that God already knew them and had a plan, do you think that would influence my decision? Rather than shouting at people, we ought to let them know, God, baby, let me talk to you. We need some mothers who can sit down and talk to some young women who are making difficult decisions. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Can you imagine if Jeremiah never was, there would have been a prophet to the nations that would have never existed. The things that we read about Jeremiah, he's one of my favorite prophets to study because he has so much hardship. The, 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 the message that God gave him was hard. He was to look at the people's face like flint and not flinch. That's hard to do, to go through a ministry of 32 years and end up in captivity and have to tell the people things that were unpleasant, that you're going in bondage when another false prophet speaks peace. He still had to do that. God knew all of that. He said, but I want you to know you need to be encouraged because I'm with you. I've kn I knew you before you came forth. I got a plan for you. Your life matters. You are going to be my servant. I ordained you a prophet many are called but few are chosen and I said Lord how is it that we got to a place where there's so much rhetoric even in the church that we've chosen sides what is it going to take to give us get us on the Lord's side I'll deal with that in a minute but I want to give a couple of testimonies from mothers. The first one, it's a gospel artist that you all know. I'll reveal their name in a moment. Their mother, his mother, at the end of her life, when he tells the story, he says she was purging. Before she went to make me her maker, she wanted to tell everything. She was purging. And on her deathbed, she told her son, Son, I tried to abort you. In fact, I went to the abortion clinic and they did the procedure, they did the DNC and whatever they do, and I went home and it didn't work. It didn't work. And son, I'm not proud of this, but I went back again because I didn't want, because we use nice language like terminating a pregnancy. We don't make it about life. That makes the decision more pal palatable. Terminate a pregnancy. I wanted to, I went back and I was in the room waiting for the procedure and she said, I was half dressed and God spoke to me. And she said, I ran out of that place half dressed because I thought God was gonna kill me. And I had you. She said, I had to make this confession. 
I tried to abort you, but it was unsuccessful. But God had a purpose for you. And her son's name is Fred Hammond. Can you imagine a, wor a world where you wouldn't know what to say when I say, everybody say. Blessed, 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 blessed. And when does blessed. it bless you? Late at Late in the midnight hour, God's, God's gonna, gonna turn it around. Come on, you can sing it. It's gonna work in your favor. Yes, it hey, will. Hey, late in, late in the midnight hour, God's gonna turn it around. It's gonna work in your favor. And how about hey, turn around? Yep. Turn it around. Oh, yeah, turn it around. It's gonna work in your favor. Can you imagine the world would have never received that? If she would have been successful, the world would have never known that Jesus could be a fence all around us every day. Jesus, be a fence. Mm -hmm. Jesus, be a fence. I know you can, I know you will Find my bad holes if I be still Lord, be a fence all around me every day Whoa, Jesus, be a fence Be a fence, Jesus, be a fence Oh, Lord, be a fence Oh, Lord, be a fence be a fence, Lord. Jesus, be a fence. Jesus, be a fence. And I want to be a fence. Jesus, be a fence. Jesus, be a fence. For my family. Be around me. And your family. Around me. And my children. Around me. And your children. All on the For way. my father. All on the way. Your father. Your family. My mother. My family. And your mother. All on the way. My family, my children. If she would have been successful, the world would have never known that. He has a Davidic anointing, but God knew him before he was formed. He ordained Fred Hammond before he was born. Life and death. Choose life. One more witness. Sonia Curry just wrote a book about her life. So this is very, very uh, public and out in the open, and that's why I thought it was okay 
to talk about this in line with the conversation of choosing life. She described what happened when she was contemplating aborting her second child. When she was a young lady, she met a charming older gentleman and she made a mistake, she got pregnant. And I'm sure the older person had plans for their life and she felt alone and she didn't want to complicate her life. She was young and so she had an abortion. And one of the things I find when I read her story, I would, I would recommend, it's, it's more than just about this, it's about her whole life, but she said when she was being interviewed on Good Morning America and a lot of other venues, she said, I didn't want to put this part of my life in the book, but the Spirit of God said I had to because this is a part of the journey. And so now she's confronted with the decision again, and I want to read her quote because I don't want to misquote her. She said, when it got down to the nuts and bolts of making this decision that I was faced with, there could be no Stephen Curry. I just want you to know, in case you never heard of him, Stephen Curry, they call the babyface assassin. The babyface assassin. He is the greater, he's referred to literally by people in the secular media as the greatest shooter God has ever created. His life is so blessed that people in the secular, secular media see God on him. She said there would have been no Stephen Curry. I would love to have gone through that. She said, but then I wouldn't have Wardell Stephen Curry II. And you know, she said, God had a plan for that child. It's obvious to her now when she looks at his life. She said, and the spirit, these are her words, interceding at that moment in a way that I didn't even know at that time, just spoke again to purpose, to faith. And she said, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just faith. She said, I didn't want to make this decision because that would have been the second time. What's telling about that is she's talking about this 33 years later and emotionally it's still painful. That's why I'm against abortion. It causes lingering pain. And I don't want to make this decision again and now I've just got to move forward and trust God with this child. Here's, listen to this. I don't know what's going to happen between Dell and I at, at, the, at that point. I didn't know. I've just got to make this one decision. I've got to make this one right decision, was her words. Her husband is Dell Curry, who also was a, in the NBA. They got married in 1998. Steph was born in March. 1998. There wasn't enough time for them to get married in 98 and for him to be born, right? 
even if they got married on New Year's Day, just doesn't happen. So her struggle was, I'm in the same position. I don't know if this man is going to stay with me. Why do I bring that up? Brothers, we got some, a part to play in this. And there's some brothers who think I'm a good dude because I'm willing to pay for it. Choose life. There's one choice. Choose life. You must not agree. Choose life. And today, because of that decision, Rita, her son, Wardell Stephen Curry, has given 20 million meals to children in Oakland, in East Oakland, the port, 20 million meals. He's made multiple movies, two of them, two of them are noteworthy. One is called Emmanuel. Not everybody in Hollywood is talking about Emmanuel. And he did it based on what happened in South Carolina. He used his resources to bring that to bear. The other movie, you can look it up, is called Breakthrough. Breakthrough. If you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. It's good, wholesome God. It's about a mother whose son had fallen through the ice and was supposed to die. There was no more life. The, you, you look at a flat line and she believed God. She had moments where she faltered, but she believed God and God rose that child up. If there was no Wardell Stephen Curry, that story would not have been told. Choose life. Everyone who God has given life, the fact that we have breath, he's given us life, he's given us time, he's given us purpose. There is no one in the sound of my voice who is without purpose. Every life matters. And I talked about the connectivity between the spiritual and the natural, the inside out. I think Mother Teresa said it best. She was visiting the U.S. under the Clinton administration. And she said, Mr. President, you know America has many problems, but the principal problem in America is that she has lost her ability to love. And I'm sure Bill Clinton is like, say more, what do you mean? He said, mothers are killing their unborn children. Their capacity to love has diminished. And I thought about this and I said, Lord, is there any different between, difference between what we do in our modern day? And again, this is not about condemnation. This is about choices. I can only make a choice based on today and if I live tomorrow. Forget about those things that are behind. We reach forward to that which is before. Is that clear? And I said, is that any different than what they did, that mothers did with Molech? Which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, they worship the god Molech. They were the children of Israel. They were the children of the God of Israel. But Molech was a God of fertility. And they would take a child that they already have, a child who they've weaned from their breast. Some of them they hadn't yet weaned. And they would sacrifice them on the altar of Molech. They would put them in the fire. And the logic in the minds of the mother 
is that because Molech is the god of fertility, if I do this, he'll give me children. You already have children. And God was clear that did not please him. It did not please him. I think decisions today, and that's why it's important for us to have these conversations, as uncomfortable as they may be, they're necessary. It's more nuanced. It is more nuanced. And what do I mean by that? How can a person who is the gateway to a mother taking the life of their child for whatever reason, how can that person say God is on my side? Well, let's go to the scripture. I'm, I'm against that person, they're not right. But I think we need to understand so that we know how to minister. The people who were standing outside of that place were not ministering to those young ladies. They didn't see love, they saw hatred. And, and even if it's so that they're going to hell because of this, is that the way you say it? I, that's, not a sin, that's not their sentence, but I'm saying, what I'm trying to get across is Jesus talked about hell, but his purpose was to keep people out of hell. They're shouting hell, pushing you into hell. No, 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 no. It's, it's the, it is the will of God that we snatch people out of the fire, not push them in. Don't push anybody in the fire. Snatch them out. I don't care if they're friend or foe. If you are a child of God, you should be snatching people out of the fire. You should hate their garments that are spotted according to the word of God in Jude. And so I said, Lord, help me, help me. Make sense for me and help your people to understand how all of this noise happens and how can that person be so misguided. Psalm 142 and 4. Psalm 142 and 4. And just for background, this is David with a plea of relief, relief from persecutors. This is a prayer. He was in a cave. He was in a cave. He's praying. He's running for his life. And here's, let's read the verse and then we'll go deeper. It says, look on my right hand and see. He's talking to God. For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Look on my right hand and see. For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Can anyone relate to the lonely feeling? David is in a cave. He's being pursued by a king who's a part of the same kingdom that he's a part of. By a king who he served by a king, but David had the response that we ought to have. Even though Saul pursued him to take his life, when David could have exacted revenge, he didn't do it. And even Saul said, David, my son, 
you are more righteous than I. But he still kept pursuing him. So David is in this cold, damp cave hiding, not from the Philistines, not from the Amalekites, not from the Amorites, not from known enemies, but from the king in his own kingdom. Here's what God told me to tell you, that just as it was in David's time, so it is today. There are two kingdoms, two kingdoms. I'm talking about in the church, not outside of the church. Are you listening to me? There is a kingdom where the king was chosen by the people. That's the one that Saul represents. That's a kingdom that will not last. It's a kingdom that has some authority, but it will not last. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and for the rest of the reign of Israel and Judah, there was never anyone who sat on the throne from Benjamin, first and last. There's another kingdom. Somebody say, that's my kingdom, that David represents. And even though he was fleeing, and he felt no one cared for him because he was all alone. There was no refuge. There was no hiding place. David represents the reign of Christ, a king, a throne that is everlasting. That's the kingdom that I want to be a part of. David had authority. He was already anointed king, but he said, I will not touch God's anointed. He respected Saul even though Saul was disobedient to God because David realized that belongs to God, not to me. I will not touch God's anointing, anointed. And when people tried to provoke him to do it, he refused to do it. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who's after God's own heart. I want to please him so much that God says, I can trust you. I can trust you with the hard decisions. I know you're going to do the right thing because I see your heart. Two kingdoms. Jesus says it another way. When I come, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goat. Sheep from the goat. Both of them represent a flock, but one yields and the other doesn't. So let's get back to that person and how could that person be so misguided to say that God is on my side. When there is no one who cares for your soul and you can relate to that vow, you become, as a compassionate person, a caretaker. And you take care of things that are not yours to care for. That's what David understood. There's some things that belong to God. And when you see there is no refuge for these people in this community who are poor and downtrodden, you want to be their refuge. But that's not the wrong. God is my refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. So what you ought to do is turn them to God so he can be their refuge. Because as well-meaning as you might think you are, you're not aligning with heaven. And remember 
in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. What God is saying, I need alignment between heaven and earth. If you're going to do this thing right, you've got to be aligned with what's happening. If the kingdoms of God are going to become the kingdom, if the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of God, of our God and his Christ, there has to be alignment. And sometimes what the enemy does is distract us with things that don't really matter. What I respect about David is he would not be distracted. Even though he was personally persecuted, even though he felt alone and vulnerable and at risk, he would not speak against the people of God. We live in a time and in a nation where that value has been forgotten. If you look at the last two, and I don't, this, this is an observation. It's not about politics. It's not. It's a political observation, but I, I don't want to inject politics into the gospel. There's too much of that. I, the day I preached the gospel of politics, somebody pulled me aside and said, you need to sit down for a while and repent. Because I hear some people saying some crazy stuff in the name of God. And I don't want to be crazy. I don't want to be crazy. If I start acting crazy, that's a sign that I've lost my mind. I've really lost my mind. So you pray for me, you pull me aside and say, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord. That is not my intention. But when I look, this is an observation. Can I make an observation? Okay. You going to love me regardless? Okay. Because love never fails. So I feel your love. The last two presidents, one Republican, one de Democrat, have been so disrespectful. They both have faults. They're both unpopular. They're like, it's like a race to the bottom in terms of popularity. But depending on what side you're on, you disrespect the person who's in authority. That's the opposite of what David did. David had every right to speak against Saul, to come against him, but he would not do it. He got so close to Saul that he took his cloak and he did it for a purpose to let him know, I could have put my javelin in you tonight, but I didn't do it. And you know how many times he had Elder Ardelia? Twice, and he didn't. Not only did David not speak bad of Saul, he wouldn't let anybody in his company do it because he was a man after God's own heart. I believe this is a time that God wants the church to manifest his heart in such a way that even your enemies will have to respect you. They will say, you know what, that's the love of God. That's love. One of the reasons the people going into the clinic are vulnerable should never, it's wrong. There's no way to say it any other way but they find someone who's tender on the other side. Do you know people who are vulnerable, who find an emotional connection, are more likely to make bad decisions? You know how many relationships, people get into bad relationships because some smooth talking dude says the right thing. Somebody knows about that. They put on a Barry White voice. They play a little bit of Luther. And all of a sudden, 
Sometimes we just have to be real. I'm saying these things intentionally to inject reality into the gospel. I do my best to take ancient text and make contemporary examples so that the word can become flesh and can be life so that we can live better, so that we can live before God better, so that we can live together better, so that we can choose life together, so that we can speak life and not death, so that we can do the things that God requires us to do as a people because we have a purpose. And the thing that is different about the church is I have a purpose, you have a purpose individually, but we have a collective purpose. And it's spelled out in scripture. And part of that purpose is for all people, all people to know that we're his disciples. And I'm, I promise you, let me tell you a quick story. Do I have a few more minutes? You sure? Okay. Quick story. This Wednesday, I was meeting with some friends, all pastors, one Asian, two white evangelicals, and me. And me. Culturally, we all look different. Theologically, one is Presbyterian, one is Assemblies of God, one is the Church of the Brethren, and I am Church of God, which is not is non-denominational. But our hearts are so joined together. I promise you, and we love each other with genuine love. We can talk about anything. We can talk about stuff that other people throw rocks at each other over. And we talk about it with sincerity and we get through some stuff. We talk about how we can work together. How can we change the spiritual climate in Philadelphia? And every single person contributes. We know about what's going on in each other's families. We pray for each other. We're for each other. This morning I got a group text before I came here and it encouraged me. Again, I sent a love emoji back talking about how the hand of God is to be on every one of us together. Constant encouragement. I'm never in a position where I have to feel like no one cares for my soul. There's no, there is a place of refuge. When you have no place of refuge, you look for it anywhere. But during the, the course of our conversation, I brought up what, had ha what happened in Buffalo. I almost said what had happened. <laughs> Jesus, and this is on live stream. <laughs> Lord help. See, even that can be forgiven when you're in the presence of people who love you. So we're talking about what happened in Buffalo and everybody has appropriate empathy. And one of the pastors said, I used to live not far from there in Buffalo. He said, the community I grew up in was the safest community in America. He said, until one incident, we had a murder, and then we dropped to number two. So I let him keep talking, and there was a holy curiosity in me. And I said, who, tell me about the murder. He said, it was a doctor who performed abortions. 
and someone went in his home and shot him. So I asked the next logical question, what's the profile of the person who did that? He said it was a, a zealous pro-lifer. And then we all paused. And we started talking about the nuance that causes Christians to hurt Christian witness. You cannot tell me it's right for someone to go in somebody's home and murder them. Think about this. I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's a person who's arguing for life. That's why I wanted to talk about life in and outside of the womb. They're talking about protecting life and they go kill somebody. And you're supposed to have credibility when you bring the gospel? Lord, deliver me from that. It is possible for me to speak the truth and be compassionate. It's impossible for you. It's in, did I say impossible for you? I don't know who I'm talking to, but it's possible for all of us. It's possible, but how can that person think that that's justified? Some years ago, about four and a half years ago, and some of them are in the room, I had the young adults over in Granham, and we were talking about multiple subjects. And I wanted to get them to think and to understand what the gospel really is. And so I asked a question, is the gospel inclusive or exclusive? Is the gospel inclusive or exclusive? For those of you who are taking notes, I want you to write down, is the gospel inclusive or exclusive? And I said, those of you on this side of the room, I want you to argue for inclusivity, for, which is a big buzzword today also. And I want you on this side of the room to argue for exclusivity. And then what I did, you remember Kian? I said, I gave the verses. I said, for this side, for inclusivity, you're gonna use John 3.16. There are other verses too. Remember when Jesus said, all that come to me, not one will I cast out, that's inclusion. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, everybody's included. But then on the other side, the verse was John 14 and six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's exclusive. And see, the thing that is nuanced in the kingdom is that both can be true. The gospel is inclusive in that anyone could come. It's exclusive in that you can't come your own way. You gotta come his way. And that's where things fall down. And people in the name of compassion do it their way. I, don't, I can't do it his way and be in right standing with him. The, the apostles also said it this way, when they were asked no longer to teach and preach in his name, they said there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That sounds exclusive. So don't get caught in this trap where it has to be this or that. When we really know God's position, we will never error. Never make an error. He won't fail us.
And speaking of life, speaking of life, there may be some who want to choose life. And I want to give you a moment to think about whether you need to come to him. And I see a member of our family in here. Willie, is Willie here? Willie. Somebody go get Willie. And I want to take a moment and pray because sometimes we see things on the news. Tim, you can go ahead and play. And it doesn't, we don't know that it, it's close to us. It affects us. We see what happened in Buffalo. We see what happened um, in Texas. And it pulls at our heart. It impacts us. But in Montgomery County, there was a building that imploded. And the residents said that they had been smelling gas for one year. And finally, it was rubble. Came to my attention yesterday that a member of our family, because he's part of our staff, had family in there. His brother, his nieces and nephews, his sister-in-law and his mother-in-law, and several of them perish right on the spot. There are two who are fighting for their life. And he showed up to work today. I want to encourage his heart. He's a member of our staff, which makes him family. Which makes him family. As the body of Christ, we mourn together. We weep together, we rejoice together. And I just want you to stretch your hands towards Willie so that he knows he's in a place where people love him and who are willing to carry him. Father, we cannot imagine the pain that Willie is enduring right now we see the manifestation of your strength because he's standing here where many people would be somewhere in the fetal position. He's here. God, we pray that you would strengthen him with might in his innermost being. We pray, God, for those who are alive and remain, that you would strengthen their hearts. God, would you brood over that family? Would you show forth your mercy? and your loving kindness unto them. In the name of Jesus, God, we cover Willie, we cover his house, we cover his family, we cover his brother and his sister-in-law, we cover his nieces and nephews, and we pray to you, God of all comfort, that you would comfort their hearts as only you can. Bless and strengthen Willie now that he might be a rock in his family. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are two specific prayer requests. One is for his nephew. The doctor says he's at risk for losing his eye. We're going to pray that that doesn't happen. We're going to pray that God heals his eye. And for, is it his wife? 
And for his wife, they're saying she's going to lose her leg. And we're saying, God, you're able. You're able to cause her to walk out of that hospital. You're able to restore that. So we want to pray those two prayers specifically. Willie, I want you to know that you're loved and appreciated. And we acknowledge your faith and courage for being here. Father, we pray. What's your niece's name? What's her name? Yeah. Christina. What's his name? Eugene. God, you're the greatest surgeon. We pray that you would correct his eye. That there would be no loss. And God, for Christine, we pray that she would leap as the man from the gate called beautiful. That, I didn't understand the purpose of you putting that in the message. But he couldn't walk for 40 years and he left leaping and jumping and praising God. Would you do that for Christina? You're the same God who was at the gate called beautiful. Stand at, the, at her hospital room and do it that the doctors may see that this is a notable miracle god make your name famous in philadelphia in the name of jesus the people of god say amen somebody say amen stand on your feet so heaven can hear us give god a hand clap if you believe god can do it we say it is so and so it is in jesus name Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.